Opinions expressed on ACB Radio are those of the respective program contributors and cannot be assumed to serve as endorsements of products or views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Good evening. Welcome, everyone, to Tuesday Topics. I'm excited about tonight's show. Before we get to our guests, who are, I'm happy to say, both here, thank you, ladies, for being present, um, we, uh, I want to make an announcement that I am really excited about, and that is to let everybody know that, da-da, the podcasts for Tuesday topics are now up. So those of you who are interested can subscribe. If you go to ACB Tuesday, if you put ACB into your Victor Reader stream, ACB Tuesday topics will come up. We're on ACB link. We're on iTunes. So anyone who is minded can not only subscribe to our podcast, but all of our previous shows. That is 23 of them. This is our second dozen complete show. Um, We'll be able to find all of our podcasts um, on all of those various spots that we talked about. And the other good news is that because I have the best co-host ever in Rick Morin, um, he edits Tuesday Topics for its first major repeat uh, tomorrow morning at 7 o'clock. And at the same time as he does those edits, um, he also puts our podcast up so that you can anticipate that the day after our show, Tuesday Topics will go up. So it is my pleasure to welcome two ladies who are at the other end of the ACB spectrum from myself. Uh, I am old and they are young, um, but they also represent, uh, in one case, the newest uh, ACB affiliate, and in another case, one of the more vibrant and exciting ones that is growing from strength to strength. And I'm going to start out by asking them to tell us a little bit about themselves. So, Miss Amanda, do you want to start? Tell us a little bit about uh, where 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 you got involved with ACV and what you're doing now and, and something sure. about your little ones as well. Okay. Well, my name is Amanda Selm. I'm from Louisville, Kentucky. Um, I actually got linked into ACV through the Kentucky Council of the Blind. And um, we can talk about this a little later, but that's actually how um, Next Generation started. Um, it actually started as a chapter of KCB. Um, so I'm, like I said, I'm from Louisville, Kentucky, home of the Kentucky Derby. Woot, woot. Um, and, uh, and, um, I am a mom of two. I have, uh, Charlotte who will be four next month, um, on October 5th. And then, um, my youngest Meredith, she'll be two months old next Monday. So I am very busy. I'm also the president of ACB Next Generation, I have a great group of people that um, I enjoy working with there, and um, I'm I'm very I'm I'm just excited um, to be a part of ACB, and I'm so excited that ACB Next Generation um, is a part of the ACB family um, now because this is 
um, like we say, this is, uh, we are the future of ACB. That's actually our uh, slogan. So that's, that's a good a slogan. Little, thank you. That's, um, that's a little bit about me. I'm excited to um, talk with y'all tonight and answer any questions that y'all have. And you'll get lots from me. Miss Minha is president of ACB Students. And Min, tell us a little about yourself. Um, <laughs> hi, everybody. I'm really excited to be here. Um, thank you so much to Paul for inviting me. Um, You're welcome. Like, I live in Massachusetts. Um, I'm from Newton, Massachusetts. And um, I currently work as an assistive technology instructor for the Carroll Center for the Blind here in Newton. Um, I'm sure many of you might have heard of it. And I've been president of ACB students for, oh my goodness, four years now. Um, I took over in 2016. And it's been really great getting to work with all sorts of different students across the country to grow the organization um, and you know, just to be a part of ACB. Um, so I joined ACB back in 2012 as a little 18-year-old. <laughs> um, I, um, I won an ACB scholarship and I got to go to Louisville, Kentucky actually. Um, and really fell in love with the organization, um, you know, like people in ACB students, like Sarah Conrad, Caitlin um, Lynch at the time, she's Caitlin Mangiello now, um, Brooke Jostad, all of those people on the board really made me feel welcome and like I had something to contribute to the organization. Um, so yeah, that's how I joined ACB and then um, well, kind of, I got kind of busy with school, so I didn't really do anything um, with ACBS until 2015 when I was the second vice president. And now I'm here, um, and I'm really excited to talk to you more about ACBS and what we've done and what we're planning to do in the future. Excellent. So, Amanda... Um NextGen was originally a committee within ACB. Um, what made you guys decide to become an affiliate rather than staying a committee? Well, um, so <laughs> we actually set ourselves up probably halfway through the process. Um, to, we set our committee up like a, as in a board structure and then um, – we started to grow and I was like, well, we need to establish some, what we would call subcommittees. And, um, as we met more people, um, very talented people started to come in and get interested and get involved. We realized after coming back from Rochester, we need to just move forward. And we had the people that had the drive to begin looking at, uh, constitution and bylaws and we had the people that uh, wanted to work on the PR side um, to help promote the organization get our social media going um, and it, it's in full swing now I have an amazing team thank you out there to my PR committee because um, y'all are awesome keeping our social media accounts up and, and rolling um, but we just realized um, after taking um, 
you know, taking the temperature of the people that were heavily involved in those who were attending our Saturday Night Live hangouts. Um, we took the temperature and, you know, everyone just sort of agreed that we need to move forward because we were doing, we were doing so well as a committee. And I, I am very proud to work with the team that I worked with and all of the mentors um, in ACB that have worked with us to transition from committee to affiliate. So how many members do you have on your board now? On our board, we have, um, we have 10 on our board. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we have our five officers and 10 directors or, Sorry, five officers and five directors. Mm -hmm. Excellent. And and were you you guys were or were not able to hold elections this summer? Um, actually, our annual meetings are um, in December. So, and yes, we will be able to hold an election in December. That's excellent. So, you guys set up your constitution so it allows you to do it virtually rather than having to be there together. Ex absolutely. Yes. Yes. That's very cool. All right. So the, the ACB students organization is structured a little differently. Tell us a little bit about how you guys are structured, Min. Okay. Um, so ACB students is a nonprofit. We do have our 501c3 nonprofit status. We got that a few years ago. Um, I think we had it in the past and it just kind of lapsed, but we're um, really strong now in terms of doing our, you know, nonprofit work. Um, and it allows us to do fundraising um, and receive donations and all of that. So we are a national affiliate of ACB, um, and we have a board. Right now we have eight positions on the board. Um, we currently have an, uh, a vacant position, um, our editor and kind of like PR person. So I have seven people on my board right now, and they're all really great. Um, you know, they came into the organization as scholarship winners um, or just as students who wanted to take on a leadership position um, and really strengthen the organization and work with other students in terms of like advocacy and um, support. So in, in the dim and distant past, you guys used to have governors as well. Do you guys still have those? No. I think that, no. yeah, I think that was a really, really long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> no, it wasn't that long ago. Um, but, but so, so you guys are entirely on your own now and, and, enti and operate entirely independently and without, without any direct involvement of the national office anymore. Yes. Um, we still work really closely with the two offices just because the nature of our board, you know, we have a high turnover rate, um, not just because like our terms are two years, um, two year terms, but people graduate and they move on and to mm -hmm. careers and things like that. So um, just because of that, we have the um, Minnesota office kind of, oversee our 
finances and things like that. Um, and I'm really grateful <laughs> to Nancy and her team for doing that for us because that is definitely something, um, you know, I, I don't think we have the capacity to do just in terms of the turnover rate. Um, but yeah, we still have like an ACB liaison, um, right. Katie Frederick, and then we have advisors who sit on the board um, just to help us plan for the future and make sure that, you know, our ideas are um, able to be implemented. Excellent. Excellent. So did, I'm going to ask you the question, then I'm going to ask Amanda the same question. Did, did you end up getting um, some new members as a result of the virtual convention? Absolutely. Yes, it was amazing. Um, you know, I feel like we always say there's some always opportunities that come out of challenges, right? And I, f I feel like the virtual convention was a fabulous way for ACB and ACBS to get our name out there. We had students come to a bunch of our events. Like, you know, our business meeting had like 100 people attend. Wow. Um, and usually at convention, we only have like 30. So students are able to attend um, virtually and they came to our socials. And I think we gained about 10 new members after convention. Um, and we're doing more socials and things like that over the, the next year. So I'm hoping that word will get out more and more and more people are going to join us. Excellent. Miss Amanda, did you guys pick up some new members during the convention? Oh, yes, definitely. We picked up 16 new members um, during the convention. Um, so I, I absolutely loved the virtual aspect this year. It was, it was wonderful. Um, we had about 90 people attend our um, – yeah, it, was, it, it was around 90 people. I think um, our moderator counted – uh, that Excellent. had attended yeah, a lot. our <laughs> <laughs> attended our um, like our happy hour, our social happy hour meet and greet, and we don't we can barely even break twenty when it's in person because of how busy everyone is. It's pretty amazing, um, you know, I, and I think all of the other special interest affiliates had the same thing. I know that BRL that I'm, which I'm president of, um, we had. 163 people register and we're, we're lucky if we get 50 at convention so um it it was pretty amazing and and we turned a lot of those folks into members i'm so i'm very happy to say so i mean it was really um you know i think the virtual convention um did all of the special interest affiliates um lots of good so let's let's talk a little about that um i it, you, you've both talked about your kind of social events at the convention, um, but Mid, I know you guys did a lot of joint sessions with other groups. Why don't you tell us a little about some of those? Yeah, so we did a lot of joint events with ACB Next Generation, actually, and I feel like, and I, I think Amanda agrees that we're kind of like sister organizations where absolutely <laughs> we are both the future of ACB and um, I'm hoping that with students, they're going to become next gen members or they already are. I actually know that a few of 
our members, our next gen members. Um, so we did, I'm trying to remember, um, we did a Google workshop with Next Generation and BPI. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. And that was really well attended. People loved that. And I think we did a couple meditation workshops with BPI as well. Um, and BPI, you know, Blind Pride International and ACB students, we have a pretty long history of collaborating. You do. <laughs> you do. And, and Amanda, what, what other events did you guys do? Or so, um, oh, sure. And, um, or, so, or has Min talked about all of them already? <laughs> sure. <laughs> Um, so on Friday evening, we actually host, uh, co-hosted the welcome, the welcome bash with ACBS. Um, the uh, next event we had was a YouTube um, and uh, Instagram workshop um, that um, my the PR committee uh, put together. Um, and then on, of course, we had the Google the Google workshop, which was which was really awesome. Um, learned a lot from there, and I, I got a lot of positive feedback about that. Um, and um, then we hosted our meet and greet, um, which that was our, I, that was a pretty, all of them were very well attended. It's, um, I, I personally enjoyed the meet and greet um, because I actually made sure everybody, and I mean everyone, got to speak. It might have taken the whole hour and forty-five minutes, but it was really, <laughs> it was a really, it was a really nice way for the board to get to know people. Um, and as a result of that, you know, um, the getting to know people through this virtual convention, uh, we had a lot of excitement. As soon as the convention was over, people wanted to get involved like that. They they were excited. They they knew what committees they wanted to be on. And um, we are, we're just having, just, just having so much fun getting work done at ACB Next Gen. That is excellent. All right. So post-convention with all these new members, let's start with Min. What, what is ACB students planning to do over the next year that you can tell us about? Oh my goodness, I'm so excited. Um, so we are planning to do kind of like a monthly, uh, we're calling it our Sunday fun day social. Um, and we're trying to see if we want to do that monthly or bi-weekly. Um, we had our first one this past Sunday and there were a lot of people there and they were like, please have more of these. Um, Cause students right now, they're, they're, having a difficult time um, with doing school either remotely or in person or like a hybrid of both. And I know we've gotten feedback that people need more support. Um, so we plan on doing more of those and kind of having, it, it's a two hour event um, and the first hour being more like a targeted topic like we can talk about certain pieces of technology people are using um, and allowing them to ask any questions that they might have of other students. Um, so kind of like a peer support group for students. And then the second half of the uh, two hour um, is 
more just like a social time so people can you know unwind and talk to other blind students about anything they might be thinking about so that's one project we're doing um, and then the other one is we're partnering with the employment committee to put on a series of career exploration calls um, and I think the first one will be probably at the beginning of October um, and I'm hoping we can do this monthly as well and for every call we'll pick a new uh, or like a different profession and we'll invite panelists who work in the field or got a degree in that field to come and talk and share about you know their experience getting their degrees and what it's like working in that career as a blind and visually impaired person so those are the like our more events for the next year how cool is that and what's next gen planning miss amanda um well we are just began the process of filing for um, our 501c3. That's the first thing um, I'm excited about. Um, the next thing that I, we, we're already, we've already been doing this, um, but I'm excited. To, I'm even more excited about this because we have more members now. Um, those of you who follow us on social media, we do something called the Monday Membership Spotlight. And what that is, is we pick um, a different member each month, and they are sent a series of questions. Men's actually been um, featured in one of them. I think she was yes. the very first person we interviewed for that. And um, this is a great way for members to learn about um, each other. But we ask them a series of questions about their lifestyle and, you know, where they come from and, um, you know, why they joined and um, it, it's just a great way to reach people. Um, the other thing I am very excited about is um, we have decided to, um, since we are a national organization, we want to keep um, want to keep the momentum going. So what we have decided to do is, um, you know, we've gotten some interest from people um, that, uh, saying, "How do we do this on the local level?" So on September 24th to Thursday, our Constitution and Bylaws Committee will be hosting a call on um, the requirements for um, to have for you to have a national affiliate of, I'm sorry, a state affiliate of uh, ACB Next Gen. Um, so kind of like what we are right now um, in Kentucky. Um, we have a chapter still here in Kentucky um, and how, how all that works because we want people to get involved on the local level and the national level. That's what helps ACB grow um, overall. And uh, yes. Yep. And, so how many, um, how many members does NextGen have now? I think we're up in the 60s now. I think we're around Excellent. 65, 66 um, members. Um and that is a huge growth because when we applied to become an affiliate, um, we had 28 members. So from February, from the mid-year meetings, the D.C. leadership meetings, um, all the way up to convention, that's a huge growth, almost of 40, 40 members within like four or five months. Doubled the size of your organization. That's pretty yes. clever. Absolutely, yes. And, and how many ACB students, Ms. Min? 
Um, I think when we did our membership roster back in March, it was around 55. I mm-hmm. think with our new members after convention, I think we're around 65 also. Ah, so yeah. similar-sized yeah. organizations. That's mm-hmm. pretty cool. So let's talk a little bit, I guess, about uh, about philosophy. Um, clearly, state affiliates aren't doing as good a job as they might be at recruiting younger folks to become members of those state affiliates and even us special interest affiliates, things like library users and the Braille Revival League and some of the others aren't doing a tremendously great job about encouraging a lot of young people to join us. So um, let's, let's start with Amanda. Amanda, what are we doing wrong? I'm not sure if you're doing um, anything wrong, but I can tell you that the number one thing you're going to have to do to reach our generation is you're going to have to get on social media. It's, it's just, there's no way around it because um, research has shown that we are actually on our phones looking at social media anywhere between three to seven hours a day. Uh, that's no joke. Um, even if you're the extremely it's busy person. Um, so social media is a great way to reach out. It's just going to have to happen like that. Um, and, and, and that would, that would essentially include um, Facebook and Twitter yes. and Face- go ahead. Um, those are the two major ones, uh, Facebook and Twitter. Um, and, um, you know, you can look at other media sources, YouTube and Instagram. Um, we, we are currently working on getting on both of those um, as an affiliate. And, and you already have a Facebook page and a, and, and a Twitter feed, I'm sure. Yes. Yes. Oh, yes. Yes, I have a whole team that handles all of that. Um, they, handled all, they handle everything. I don't have to do anything. Um, I, I do help out with that every once in a while, but they always, they, they do such a great job moderating our accounts. Um, one thing that I think will pull people in, um, I know this was, this was a huge thing here in Kentucky. Kentucky had, um, a, they had a Facebook page and then we started forming, we started getting groups. And so one of the things that, you know, um, leadership here in KC, KCB asked us to do was to help get some younger members involved with social media because they're the ones that are on there. And they're the ones that can post. They're the ones that can moderate the pages. Um, and it just makes them feel, make, makes us feel, you know, special. You know, makes us feel like we're doing a good job. Um, you know, the validation of that. Because we know what we're doing. Our generation knows a lot about technology and social media. So I say utilize utilize our, our brains as much as so, possible. So to be clear you would not include either texting or email in social oh. media. Is that right? Oh, no, 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 um, no. I, I, I personally wouldn't because um, everybody, yes, everybody has email, but we're more, um, I am more amped to pull up my Facebook than to pull up my email. Um, <laughs> I agree. Um, all right. But email email's not dead though, Paul. Don't don't think that at all. <laughs> well, 
so Min, would you would you agree with um, with what Amanda said? Definitely. Um, I I think a lot of students are interested in you know the special interest affiliates, but they just don't know what's going on because there's no information out there. Uh, you know, like people are on social media, and whether it's good or bad, it's the fact of the matter that we do spend a lot of time on social media and that's where we get a lot of our information, a lot of our news. Yeah. Um, you know, well, like Amanda said, like I'm, when I'm sitting around and like in a lift or, you know, I don't really pull up my email that all that much, but I'll pull up my Facebook and my Twitter and I'll read about what's going on. Um, and so that's a big part of what special interest affiliates can do. Um, and Helps, help some of our older members to understand what's the big difference about social media. And I'll start with Min and then I'll let Amanda answer. What's the big thing about social media that makes it better than the old way? The old way of email? Like email and, and text and, you know, why, why is social media so much better? Um, I personally feel social media is more digestible, um, and it's kind of like an instant gratification kind of thing. Like you're scrolling, you can read something for, you know, a few seconds and then you can move on. Um, with email, I find that usually it's more wordy. People don't really want to read a lot of words. Um, and I think email has kind of like work connotations. So people may not gravitate to it as much. Like, uh, gotcha. that's another email I have to read. But social media is fun. Mm -hmm. Amanda, any thoughts? I absolutely agree with Min. But the other thing I was going to say about email is that you have to open it in order to see the contents. Where like you know like so so you see you see oh I got email from John over here but I can't see what John's saying whereas like social media you're there you see John's name and you see what John's doing um, so you see the same goes with groups you see the group's name and you see what they're doing so you know you're 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 tempted to read it because you're like oh they're on here what are they doing you know so does next gen have a Facebook group. We have a Facebook group, um, which is more for conversation and getting to know our members. Um, like one thing we love to do in our group is um, some different fun, fun posts, like Fun Friday. Um, you know, I'll post a question out there that says, hey, what is your favorite? Um, what, like we did one on French fries. What's your favorite fast food French fries? And, you know, <laughs> that generated a lot. I bet it people, did. It, it gets people talking, whereas the page, we do have a page which is more public. Um, it is more public. That way people um, can see what we're doing. People can follow us. And, you know, um, so we have both of them. And then we also have the Twitter. So inquiring minds want to know which French fry won. Um, I believe it was McDonald's. Yeah, I, I, I think I probably would have voted for that. I don't like anything else McDonald's makes, but their French fries are good. <laughs> yes. Oh, wow. Well. Yes, absolutely. Uh, Min, would you have voted for McDonald's? I don't think so. Um, 
I like Arby's fries. I don't get. Yeah, that she does. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I have that. not. I have not tasted Arby's fries. I'll have to order some. Their curly fries are really good. All right. <laughs> now, now see, hungry. this is this is exciting. <laughs> <I know>. Now, <laughs> I haven't had supper yet either. Um, okay, so. Social media is good. Old style communication doesn't work for younger folks. Um, what else? Are, what 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 else could we do to make a difference? Um, there are some people, for instance, who've talked about state affiliates needing to do separate tracks for young people. Do you guys think that's necessary? Separate tracks. What 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 do you mean by separate it, tracks? In in other words, in addition to. Um, the the program that you're doing for kind of general members, you you organize at least a number of presentations that are specifically designed and perhaps put together by younger members. Yes and no. Um, for example, um, like like I said, you know, utilize our brains. Well, um, like here in in Kentucky every year at our convention. Um, we're kind of like the go-to people that um, always want, always present something technology, tech savvy. Mm -hmm. And it's because we're, we're the first ones to find out about the new iPhone updates and what's going on and all that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, all the new technology stuff that comes out, that's just how it's always been. Um, so, so yes, in the sense that, you know, if you want to get them involved and, you know, you can get them planning something. Yep. Yes. Um, but you don't have to go a complete, no, you don't have to go a completely different track. I mean, mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I don't, I, 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 I don't see why you, you wouldn't have to. Um, but yes, having them help plan programming would be good. I think Absolutely. that would be good. So, Min, what else can we do? Um, I agree with what Amanda said. I don't think we need to separate things out at all. Um, I just think these, you know, older members just need to include us. I think that's the biggest part is inclusion. Because right now, we're feeling like we're just kind of like this affiliate, you know, that's kind of like out there. and We're not really being taken seriously um, and we're not being invited or included um, in the discussion, like in the planning process. So, you know, if you have presentations coming up and you know, mm -hmm. there's a young person in your affiliate, reach out to them and have them help you with um, PR, with marketing, with social media, with, sharing their knowledge of technology and how um, you know they can plan better and you know I'm thinking just in the different workshops and stuff I've seen at um, state conventions you know there's been things on exercising and it's usually the same information yes you know? Right over and over again, and that's not exciting. That's not. There's nothing to draw um, young people into that. So instead of having the same presenters, the same information mm -hmm. shared, why don't you reach out to again young people in your affiliate who probably know more about 
the latest trends and the latest apps that's out mm-hmm. there for exercising. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think just being included in things and also just making the connection. Um, I think there's just a lot of disconnect right now. Mm-hmm. One suggestion I've heard says that it would be interesting if state and special interest affiliates changed their constitution so it was a requirement uh, that one member of their board be under 40. What do you think? Oh my, oh my goodness. Um, I, I wouldn't be opposed to that idea at all um, because I, I believe we can offer some perspective to um, the leadership of these uh, special interest and state affiliates. Um, And, uh, you know, it's always good to, it's always good to bring in a younger perspective because, um, I'm sorry, Uh, it's always good to bring in a younger perspective because things are constantly changing. I mean, even in the past, like, three or four years, um, the way we do things has changed. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, 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 that's my two cents on that, Paul. Yep. <laughs> Min, do you think it would be a good idea? Um, I'm not sure. I, I don't think I'm opposed to it. To it. Um, but I think it kind of comes back to this, like, I don't want my presence in ACB to be a requirement. You know, like, gotcha. I want... I want young members to be on a board because they deserve to be there because yep. their talents are valued and recognized. Um, you know, you know like, that's a, that's, that's yeah. a really good point. And I, and, and, and I think I hear you. Um, I, I, so what, what I guess I hear both of you guys saying is that, uh, at, at least in some states, we're not doing as good a job as we could um, at at making use of the talents that we have available to us, and and at making younger people feel welcome. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I yes, absolutely. That that that's what I'm hearing um, from a lot of people. They're they're feeling discouraged. And I think what it comes down to, Paul, is that, um, you know, someone said this to me the other day, is that state affiliates and special interest affiliates need to get to know their members um, and know what they're good at, know what their skills are. They need to have conversations with their members. Leadership has to have conversations with their members. Um, because you might have a, a person out there who is vastly talented in one area and not even know it. Mm-hmm. Oh, I think that's absolutely right. I think that's absolutely right. So, a couple more questions, one to each of you, um, and then we're going to open it up. So, Min, one of the problems that students has is that it's sort of like a revolving door in that in that you get students who join the organization, and then when they stop being students, um, they often um, don't stay involved in ACB, and they and and they certainly don't stay involved as students. Mm-hmm. Um, what can students do, and what can state and federal interest affiliates do to help you recruit more younger students? Well, I think 
it's more of an awareness thing. Um, you know, we we need to do a better job of making people know that we're here. Um, and I think our social media has done that within the past few years. Um, I know we we have a lot of likes and followers on Facebook and Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think you know if you if you're a teacher or if you just know of students um, like blind students in your area, like let them know about ACB students or even like just take them under your your wing. Like they don't necessarily have to join mm-hmm. us. It would be great. But I think my goal is, I mean, I always want to grow the organization in terms of membership, but I would love it more if students could just have a place within the organization um, so they feel like they belong to something, um, Mm -hmm. that they can contribute something to the organization. So I know we talked um, at a president's meeting about, um, about state affiliates that give scholarships away yeah. um, being encouraged to to share the names of their scholarship applicants, not just the winners, with students so that you guys will have a chance to reach out to them. Uh, is, is that a good plan? I think it's an excellent plan. I think it's all about reaching out. And we may not get everybody to respond because they may be too busy or you know maybe they just want the scholarship um but that's okay but even if we get one person to join and stay involved i think that would be really great um and i think the scholarship program is where we're the weakest um we need to work to get these students to stay and whether that's on the state or special interest affiliate that the students may be a part of um, to reach out and you know, check in on them once in a while and say like, hey, we haven't heard from you. How is your studies going? How is life? Um, yep. Just making them feel um, valued and connected. Welcomed and involved, yep. Mm-hmm. Yep, so, exactly. So I, I, I lied because I'm going to ask you another question. <laughs> All um, the questions. Uh, so, my my question has to do with um, with how students or or how state and and local affiliates should operate. I I know we've tried in Florida, and other state affiliates as well have tried to form student affiliates and they haven't worked. Um, mm. uh, I think. I think you guys only have one state affiliate now. Is that right? Technically, we have two. We have oh, sorry. Um, Bay State Council of Blind Students and California Council of Blind yeah. Students. Yeah. Yeah. But they, yes, they're definitely struggling. Yeah. And that's hard. So, it is. So, Miss, Miss Amanda, what can state and local affiliates do in terms of next gen? First, tell everybody to come to the Constitution and Bylaws session you're having, right? <laughs> yes, absolutely, because um, they will go over it. These, these, these guys, this committee here, they know what they're talking about. They have the passion for it. I mean, they, they're the ones that looked at the Constitution and studied it and studied it again. Um, I don't have that kind of, I don't have that kind of brain. Um, 
my my thing is is you got to find the people that want exactly what you want you got to find the people that want to work at it um and i i, I want to tell people out there that when you get started um i uh, when you get started as with anything it is going to take you a while to get your feet off the ground um don't get discouraged I, I think that's the big thing. You have to remain positive. People are going to tell you that it's not going to work. But the, the thing you have to keep in mind is you can do it. I mean, we're doing it in Kentucky um, with the next gen chapter. Um, that uh, The next generation chapter here in Kentucky, we're doing it. We're doing it here and we're doing it on the national level. And uh, there's always going to be people that doubt you. So you can't listen to that. Um, and you need to find the people that want, that want it as bad as you do. Um, because if you, it's not, it's not enough for one person to want it. You need to find others that want it. And that's why ACB next gen is doing so well is because, um, we have a group of people that want it, that, that want it to work. And so therefore, <laughs> there, therefore that, that, that's, you know, that's why it works so well. And that's why it's, it's just easy because we all have that same vision. At the state level, you require five members. Is that right? Or, or do you require more Seven. than that? Seven. Seven. Cool. Seven. All right. Yes. So that's, that's what state and special interest affiliates, if they want a next-gen group, um, need to be looking for. And do, do you need seven students as well, Miss Min, if people are minded to form a student group? We actually don't have a firm requirement as long as um, the the students, uh, the state student affiliate, has a charter and a constitution, or I should say, a constitution and bylaws. Now, um, as long as they can submit that to us, they become an affiliate. Mm -hmm. And and both of you would require them to submit all their documents through your boards. Yes. yes. Yeah, cool. Actually, yes, ours, um, I don't know if students is the same way. Um, ours is you submit um, your constitution, bylaws, and your, um, your membership roster to our constitution <coughs> bylaws committee, and then they recommend to the board. Very good. Mr. Rick, do we have any hands? We do, we do. We've got Alice. Miss Alice. <laughs> Hello. I have a, a couple of questions and then a comment. Um, my, my first is, at what age uh, for students do you guys require uh, for, you know, for students to join the student? Um, like, I know here in Georgia, we accept up, you know, starting at age 16 up. Um, or do you require that they are college students to be a member of the student population? That's my first question. And then my, I wanted to kind of uh, my next question was, do you find that um, students mostly were dropping off after they left school because then there wasn't really anything that appealed to them about staying with ACB, and now that next gen's um, available, that, that that seems to now be maybe a draw that maybe will keep students hanging on, you know, and staying involved. And I would just, my last thing is just kind of a, a comment. I, I like what you both said about the fact that not to require that you make somebody a member, but 
let just letting them know that they are welcome, that they're valued, because I know in the past when I first joined GCB here in Georgia, um, a lot of the time we're, we would recruit, some of us were working hard to recruit young people, and when we get them in, they'd want to be involved, but a lot of our older members would say, well, you have to earn your dues first. You're, you're just not ready yet. And it turned a lot of our young people off, and they left. Yep. So I say good for you because I think you're right. If you if you don't, you know, invite them in to be a part of it from the beginning, why would you want to stick around? Mm-hmm. Thanks, Alice. So, um, Min? Yeah. So our, um, we do accept students um, starting at age 16. So we have a junior membership category. Um, but I've... I've found that usually it's starting with college students. I don't think we have any junior members right now. Um, and I hope we can change that because, you know, starting at 16, they're probably thinking about either college or um, whether or not they want to go to college or <laughs> if they just want to go find a job after high school. Um, so we want to support that. And then, um, sorry. Your second question, I don't remember. Well, the, the, the first one had to do with age, and, and, and the second one, um, gosh, I'm not sure I remember either. Um, oh, with students and next generation. Yeah. yeah. Yes. I, I do find that students are dropping off because they didn't have a place to go. Um, and I know quite a few years back, um, a few people were trying to start next generation, so kind of making it a pipeline from students to next gen, um, and it didn't really take off the ground. So I'm I'm really really excited that next gen exists now, because once students are done, they're like, well, what do I do now? I want a community to be a part of, but I'm not a student anymore. We can be like, well, there's next generation. Um, join them. <laughs> so Miss Amanda. Miss Amanda, next gen, um, bottom age? 18. Mm-hmm. Um, 18 right now. Um, yes, 18. Um, I, I don't know if that's going to change anytime soon. Um, and of course, just because it is, it does this say 40 and under, um, but you can become a supporting member if you are over the age of 40. So we even, do not even kick, old we, guys. Yeah. Yes. Yes. You Whoa. and all these guys on here that are helping you co-host this event, Paul, y'all can come join ACB next year. <laughs> there you go. All of us old farts. <laughs> yeah. <all of> us. <laughs> you called yourselves that Rick. I, I, yeah. know, I know. I told you we'd get it in at least once. Yeah. <laughs> Mr. Rick, who we have. Yeah, just I just want to make a couple of comments. I, sure. You know, I t- totally agree with everything Amanda and Min are saying, and I, I, I think part of what you know the uh, us seasoned folks have to be willing to do is to um, you know we in the old days used to say mentor people, and I hate that word mentor absolutely yeah. because it's it be, because it it puts somebody in a subservient position to yep. the, to the person who's being the mentor. Um, my whole uh, philosophy is, you know, give people opportunities, and if they make a mistake, 
they make a mistake. I mean, that's how we learn, right? Yeah. There are folks that will hold back on the opportunities because they, they well, so-and-so isn't ready. Well, you know, they'll never, never be ready unless you give them the opportunity. So, yeah. Yep. So. yeah. Well, do you guys know, um, speaking of mistakes, do you guys know that, that um, you know what the acronym FAIL stands for? I do not. First attempt in learning. Nice. No, that's great. That, that's absolutely great. And, and uh, yeah, so, so you know, I, I just, I, you know, some of this has to, um, Dan Spoon uses the word intentional all the time, and I tease him about it. And he tries not to use it in my presence because I tease <laughs> because he uses it so often. But 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 I think you know we as the um, as the folks who've been around for a while need to be very intentional in terms of of not hoarding the opportunities to ourselves because we think we can do a better job or whatever. Uh, hell, you know, I, I never would have learned anything in my life had I not made a bunch of mistakes. So, yeah. and, um, uh, you know, and, and, and it's just incredible amount of learning that happens when, when you make mistakes and you pick yourself up and you just, you know, you're that much better for it. So, so anyways, we got Terry. Miss Terry. And, and yeah. then I'm going to make a comment, too, after, after Terry's done. So go ahead, Ms. Terry. You sure. You're welcome to go first. Okay. I'll, you can wait a minute. <laughs> uh, it, it's really a question um, and a comment. The comment is, and I'm, and I'm speaking personally, I, I am incompetent where Facebook and Twitter is concerned, and I've made a couple of efforts to use both. I, you know, I'm on Facebook. Um, I'm not a part of a of of a Facebook group, and I'm and I'm uh, and I I don't know how to do it. Um, and 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 I probably tweet about once every two years. Uh, so, uh, I mean. Clearly, I'm not with it, and and I wonder if there is some room to go the other way. Um, what would happen if next gen and students were, for instance, to say, "Let's put together uh, a joint workshop to teach old people how to use social media." That would be fantastic. I'm yeah. down for that. Let's do it. Yep. I mean, I, I I would I would join, and and you guys would shame me into becoming better at doing what I was doing. <laughs> or what I'm not doing. <laughs> Miss Terry, shame you just encourage. Yes. Thank you, Min. Miss Terry. Well, on on that subject, my husband, who's even older than you, Paul, would this absolutely love to do that. He want he has always talked about getting on Twitter. Twitter doesn't yeah. jump out at me, but I live on Facebook. But. Um, <laughs> Uh, well, if 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 I were if I were living on either, I'd be starving to death. Miss <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> Terry, I, I just have a couple of couple of couple of, couple of comments on on uh, this. First of all, I think you're both doing a great job with what you with you know with the with both organizations, um, and. As far to to Min and to someday I'm going to get used to calling it ACB students. Um, <laughs> I know you're like I'm NABS. back in the days of NABS, yep. <laughs> National Alliance of Blind Students. Um, 
And I thoroughly enjoyed, for seven years, I was the National Office Liaison with NEBS, and I thoroughly enjoyed working with that, with that group. And I think you need to keep in mind that that organization has so much potential. And I, I love the idea of next gen because people can go from one into the other. Keep in mind that people who were in NABS when I started in the national office back in 99 and 2000 and that area were people like Eric Bridges, our now executive director. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> excuse me, I think Brian and Kim Charlson had both been in NABS. Uh, yep. There were a lot of people who have come come up through the system for, uh, that started, that really started in NABS, or in, it was NABS at that time. Carrie, are you telling me I'm too old for NABS? Is that what you're telling me? No, you can go back to school. <laughs> Paul, you can go back to school anytime. We'll teach you something. <laughs> All right, Carrie, go, go ahead. The other, and the other piece, as, um, as in as far as uh, next gen is concerned, is I think that you've got a great, great possibility. And one of the things that we, I wish we had thought of doing it at the time, we, um, a group of us started the, what, what's now Bay State Council. When we started that affiliate, there wasn't a one of us that was over 28 years of age. Yeah. I, don't think, I don't think there was anyone who was, we were all oh, wow. college students and early, early, um, you know, early employment, that kind of thing. Um, and as we developed, as the organization developed and people grew into their own interests and such, we ended up, I mean, you'll, you, you'll understand it more because you know the geography. Yeah. Um, we ended up with what we had was this, uh, there are various chapters in Bay State Council. We had a chapter on the South Shore and it just happened that virtually everyone in that chapter was were young couples that had ch young children. We all had particular interests. And, and I think that is such an important thing. We were not the ones who were going to go to the state house and advocate. We were, for one thing, most, yeah. for one thing, back in those days, which is unfortunate today, we had a, an extremely low unemployment rate. Right. I don't think we, I don't think Bay State, Bay State Council in its early years, in, you know, in the mid and late 70s, for instance, I don't think we had more than maybe a 10% a ten unemployment rate. People were working. So That's amazing. You weren't, gonna, you weren't going to, we were very talented people, what can I tell you? <laughs> <laughs> but Still are, you is, don't have to put that in the past tense, my God. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Um, th my point is that I think what's important and maybe some of these state affiliates should be looking at is not necessarily having a group that's separate, but a part of their group. Right. Part of their Absolutely. affiliate that, yeah. that focuses on those interests, mm -hmm. um, whether, it, whether it be advocate, whether it be going and testifying or whether it's, you know, how do you, who's a good person to get to put a new roof on your falling down house that was all you could afford at the time? Um, that kind of thing. Or, you know, or somebody, some people are interested in just in sitting at home listening to books and, and wanting to really push on library more, uh, whatever it, the case may be. 
Um, mm -hmm. And I think a lot of this, that's where I think a lot of the state affiliates are falling off on this, is yeah. you've got to let all, all of your members, including your young members, excel at what they are interested in. And are good and, at. And if it's their own group, I think that's what really needs to be done. And Paul, just as a point of information. Ma'am. NABs did away with the governors in 2002. <laughs> yes. Um, that was quite a few years ago, like I said. <laughs> Thank you Maybe for that, Maybe you're losing Terry. track of time. <laughs> Can I have a question? Terry, I found the original uh, articles of incorporation for Bay State Council. The other I have day. the original articles of incorporation for Blind Leadership Club. Yeah, I've got them for, I found them for BSCB. You can actually get them online. Uh, and all that stuff is archived uh, digitally in Massachusetts. But oh, right. Charlie Crawford was one of the original founders oh, of, he of was. BSCB. And, Charlie, uh, Charlie Crawford was one who actually got the first group of us together um, to do BLC back in, I think it was 1971. I joined in February of 72. Um, and the Blind uh, Leadership Club. Yes, of Massachusetts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Excellent. Thank you, Miss Cherry. Have a great. I evening think Amanda had a question. Amanda. I did. I had a question. What are what, what were the governor's roles in um, in students? They essentially um, they didn't over overrule anything. They were, the governors and I kind of served as sounding boards. I like that term better than mentoring as well. Um, right. We were kind of sounding boards. Um, you know, if people had a question about a constitution or something like that, or if they had, were looking for, a, you know, a speaker or a comedian or something for their convention, um, we just kind of, we were like non-voting members of the yeah. board. I, and I don't think we were really different from the advisors that you're using now, Amanda, yeah. and, and you too, Min, I think. Mm -hmm. It's just um, a different name. Yeah. Well, and, and they actually had some power constitutionally. They did. And, and they were required to be there. But when, when I served as governor, as I did um, for a year or two, I think, um, you know, my, my view, my view was to, to, to just sit, sit back quietly and, 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 and be there if I was needed and, and offer suggestions if I had them. Uh, but, but not in any sense, try to tell NABs what to do. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't Back think we up. did that. Yeah. We but actually, it was, go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. No, you go ahead. I was going to say we actually we actually don't have um, advisors. We thought right. about that position, but we actually don't have those. No, I don't think you need them. I mean, you guys, you know, you guys, you guys are old enough and ugly enough, <laughs> yeah, to to, to to drink and vote. So you might as well be able to run your organization. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, and, and you don't need them because you because they're there. You know, you can build those relationships, right? Yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. Mr. Rick. Yes, phone number 9505, please. That would be Margie from California. Miss Donovan. Margie. 
If I cough, that's because my governor said with the smoke, we're smoking 40 packs of cigarettes a day. Hi, man. How are you, sweetie? I'm good. How are you? I'm sorry about everything going on in California. Yeah, I'm, I'm. Oh, we're on fire. I <laughs> That's know. All I can say. It's terrible. Anyway, I want to talk about NABS because I was in NABS. I attended <laughs> my first convention because I got a scholarship, and that was in 1984, and it was in Philadelphia. Talk about a wonderful convention, almost as good as Chicago. That was my and first had, year. Oh, was it? Yeah. I didn't meet you until 100 years later, though. That was my first year, too. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Um, we have so much in common, lady. We do. Um, I got a scholarship, so I came. And I had gone to the School for the Blind for two years. I'd gone to a camp for the blind. But I had never met. There was a student from every state. Back in that, those days, each state sponsored a student. And NABS had a whole seminar for most of the week. And um, I got immediately involved, no surprise. And I think at the next convention, I became president of NABS. No, I became program coordinator. Then after that was president. And I don't remember these directors or guidance counselors or whatever you guys called them. <laughs> I don't remember them. But I do know that there were a number of people from sort of my class of 84 that did stick around the convention, um, even without next generation. I think it's awesome we have that group. I think it's really going to help. But I moved from NAMS when I had exceeded every role in NAMS. I moved over to GDUI. And I became very interested in, um, in legislation. And so what, what's 84 to now? A good 30-something years, 36 years later, if I did my math right? Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm still around. And yeah. I, what I would love to see is uh, for our current board and or president to invite states to sponsor students. I know a lot of states can't afford it, but um, it would be really cool if that happened. Oh, I, I forgot what I was saying. Anyway, having gone to school for the blind, having gone to a camp for the blind, I've got to tell you, the first time I ever met oh, a big group of high-functioning, college-going, blind people was in 1984. And that really opened up my life for me. And that yep. I really, a lot of that is what I um, attribute my success in my career, my, my schooling, and, and my parenting, I have to say, because I had role models that had kids way before me. And so I think NABS is an awesome awesome place to start in ACB. And I will just close by saying, um, other than below 16, you're never too young to get involved in ACB, whether it's through oh, the no. student group or any other group that you are interested in. Thank you. Oh, thank you, Thanks Margie. so much, Margie. That's, that was great. I love, I love that suggestion, by yeah. the way. I really do. That's, that would be that, fabulous. That's a great suggestion. <laughs> I don't know that it would be impossible to, to, to persuade folks to do. So, Min, you should bring it up at Presidents and tell them it came up tonight. And, I'm going and see to. see what they tell you. Yeah. They're yeah, like, let's make this happen. Um, in ACBS, we're actually... Oh, sorry. can't find a student, send a next-gen person. Mm -hmm. 
yeah, we're we're looking into starting our own like ACBS first timers program, like stipend um, that would be for pretty next cool. year. And I think mm-hmm. that would be really great. But we can only send you know two to three people. But if yeah. we can, if every state affiliate or even a special interest affiliate can send a student, that's you know that's fifty people that yeah. we're bringing into That'd the organization. That yeah. Well, I, I'm going to apply for a large stipend for our virtual convention, okay? <laughs> well, we'll see. I mean, I have to meet our requirements first. Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, I hear ACBS runs some pretty good hospitality suites, too. Is, is that a, a wrong rumor or what? Um, I would say so, yes. <laughs> <laughs> we have a lot of fun after uh, no, our... and I And that's not a bad thing, believe me. Oh, so. no. You know, people be having the ability to drop in and stuff. That's terrific. There are some. There are some devious former members of ACBS, though. There, there is one gentleman in particular who talks a lot about turtles. Turtles. Yeah, and I was presiding uh, at, at an ACB meeting, and this is a this is a drinking thing, sir. Where, where. It it starts with him saying, "Are you a turtle?" And he yelled it from the audience. This person, <laughs> and and I said the correct response. But I did the same thing to him um, a couple of years later, and he ignored me. So I was very disappointed. <laughs> so, Mike Gravit, if you're listening, call in. <laughs> <laughs> Called out. Called out. Yeah. Exactly. Mr. Rick, who do we have? Uh, well, I'm looking for turtles here. No, we got Chris <laughs> Coulter. Chris. Hello. Miss Chris. Hi, Chris. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm going to speak quickly before my internet goes out again. I don't know what happened there. But anyway, um, what I, I come to this whole thing about a seeming divide between older people in the organization and younger people in the organization. From a, I come from a different place because I never knew about the organized blind very much until I was middle-aged. And I joined Washington Council of the Blind. And um, really, I was on the the pivot between the old and the young and the old were so cross and the young ones i didn't understand <laughs> you know yeah. and i wanted and so did my husband um well at the time i joined we weren't married yet but uh, he uh, once we were married uh, he joined and um we after we joined, and and I I was the founding president of the of the um, chapter. We wanted to put together a lot of activities for our chapter that could be done. Some of them by the older people, and some of them by the younger people. And you know, no one really took that much interest in it. And I think maybe it was because I had not learned how to promote things very well. But the but the one thing that I, I that brought this up and really made me think about it is I think it would be a wonderful idea if our board 
uh, ACB board and even our state boards could um, encourage people younger than 40 to run for the board. Yeah. That is why, because maybe right. when younger people see the leadership of people closer to their ages, and when older people still have people their age in the group, in the, in, in the affiliate or whatever, I think that really would make a difference. But we're all in these little, little boxes, and I don't think that's where we belong. So, Chris, what didn't you understand about the younger people? Well, they didn't talk to me much. And there weren't that many of them. They'd kind of sit and they didn't talk to anybody much. If they were, in those days, it was, okay, you're, you're going to see the math here. I was 49 and it was 1970, 1990. Yep. 1999. Actually, 1999 when I joined. But I met a lot of the older people yeah. earlier than that. But I, it was uh, 1999 when I joined. It was 2001 when we founded the chapter. And the, the younger people, if they did come, maybe one or two would come. I used to go to the scholarship um, yep. mm -hmm. the receptions and sit with people in my, my, in my county in, in their chapter area. Right. Right. Uh, and and uh, talk to the parents and talk to the kids and and stuff at the banquet. And that uh, oh yeah, yeah, that's really cool. And yet they wouldn't they wouldn't really uh, take any interest. So you think well, let me not say what you think. Let me ask. Okay. Do you think that the young folks isolated themselves purposefully or do you think that older people didn't reach out to them um it could have been a little of both but i think it was as far as i am concerned and i'm the only one i can speak for i think my being new at a very old game you know uh, you'd been around for quite a while i was a, a new leader in middle age yep. I didn't, I did a few things wrong. I, di I did not know how to handle the situation or, f or really who to go to for a Very long good. time. Yeah. Chris, was, thank you so much. Thank you. I, I appreciate it. So Min or, or Ms. Selm, what do you, what do you think? Is there, is, is there a, um, is there a tendency for young folks to isolate themselves? Do you think? Uh, yes, yes, I because I, I've I've done it before personally. I I don't know. I kind of felt um, I I I kind of like to not necessarily isolate myself, um, but if I'm going to an event um, where I I know at least one young person, I'll try to find them and try to fill fill you know try to fill the room out. Um, for instance, the first time I went to an ACB convention, I knew there were young people lurking around, um, but I, I stuck with the people that I knew, but I also stuck, I also tried to seek out the younger people. But yes, I, I do think that um, it's a thing that happens possibly in your early, like in the early 20s. I do, I do see a lot of 
that isolation where young people want to stick maybe together. Sh- maybe shyness too. Yeah, a little. Miss yeah. mm-hmm. Min, what do you think? Yeah, I, really. Yeah. Okay. I think when, especially for new people, um, like when they go to a new blindness event. It's very intimidating. It's really scary. And I hear that all the time from scholarship winners. Like, we're, we're so lost. Like, we don't know what to do. Um, this is a scary thing for us. And so when people are scared, they, um, they tend to, say to close hide. up. Yes. Yep. yep. They tend to close yep. up and they tend to mm-hmm. um, gravitate towards the people that they know. And that's other young people. So I think it's just a matter of um, go, you know, getting past that barrier. Um, and I know I'm an introvert, um, so sometimes it right. takes me a little bit to get out of my shell and talk to other people. But I really appreciate when maybe more extroverted people make the effort to bridge that gap because I'm like, mm-hmm. that, that takes the pressure off of me. Excellent. Mr. Rick, do we have any other hands? Yeah, just a comment. I'm, I'm always amazed when people say, you know, they go to their first convention and they come back all charged up and it was the best thing that ever happened to them. I, I mean, our conventions are just, you know, so overwhelming. Uh, yeah. That, yeah. They are that, so overwhelming. You know, it's like, wow. I, you know, with the type of introvert that I am too, I would roll up and I would have rolled up into a ball. And yeah. probably stayed in my room most of the time, um, like a hedgehog. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it, it's it. You know, it, it, some of this is personality type too, and mm-hmm. so you know, I, I, I think you know, with this whole diversity mindset and stuff, I, I, you know, I, I think a lot of what we're saying is, you know, people should take interest in other people. Right. And um, and realize that um, you know our convention, which has got you know sometimes has fifteen sessions going on at one time and stuff, uh, it it can be a bit intimidating. And uh, anyways, well, when I went when I went to my first convention in nineteen eighty four, sorry, but it is sort of relevant. I I I was in an interesting situation. Uh, and, and little did I know how much I had been thrown into the frying pan because Grant Mack, who was then president of ACB, had come to Florida and he said, we have this, this tiny little activity and, and, and you know, we'll, I'll, I'll give you a stipend of um, 20 bucks if you will, if you'll come to our convention and um, chair our resolutions committee. Well... Little did I know until I got there what kind of a job that was. And little did I know that I was going to essentially be told, not only do you get to chair it, but I'm just going to relax and you can run the whole thing. So here is this, here is this neophyte kid who really didn't have a chance um, to, to be a, um, a shrinking violet but got kind of shoved out in, in, into the traffic and told, well, I hope you survive. <laughs> well, and, so the point, was, and the point is you did, right? Yeah. You, you yeah. survived it. So not necessarily oh, a bad thing. And, you know, I, well, I, it, was, it was actually probably good for me because, yeah. um, be, be, because I, I had a lot to do and I got to know a number of people who were really smart really early. 
Oh and, yes. And, and so it was. It, it it was it was a real help for me. I'm sure. Oh, I I love conventions. You know, I I think of conventions now as sort of like the family reunion that, type yep. thing, mm -hmm. yeah. like all these cousins that you know you don't see until you go to the convention, which is like your family reunion. And mm -hmm. you know, I have. I, I always remember one thing. I always remember the first time I meet someone, um, you know, when, when I met them. And it's just in such an ordinary setting. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it's it's not in some big fancy setting. It's, it's just in an ordinary setting, which is what I love about ACB, um, as opposed to other blindness-related organizations. Right. Is that, you know, you feel the love, you feel the family, you know. I think that's actually true. Uh, at least I'd like to think it's true. It certainly has been for me. Uh, Mr. Rick? Yeah, let's welcome John McCann. Mr. McCann. Hi, John. Hello. Hey, Hi. how goes it? Hey, John. How goes it? Uh, everyone uh, here apparently knows me. Uh, shocker of shocks, <laughs> not. Um, and uh, I'll just open up by saying it's an honor to be an advisor to uh, ACBS. Um, woo -woo. Uh, and then, woo! Yeah, you do the woo-woo, yeah. Man uh, had reached out to me and I'm a big uh, proponent at this stage of my life of uh, transgenerational, cross-generational exchange, learning, et cetera. And ditto for uh, next generation. Um, and glad to have seen that get off the ground. I was uh, pleased to have been in the audience by my own choosing. I was no longer on the board, <clears throat> but I was in the audience. And uh, with that date with all the zeros and twos in it, zero two, yeah. um, two zero. <laughs> Two zero, uh, no two 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 zero. It had a yes. hunk of twos and zeros in it. It was a Saturday. Yeah. I remember that much, and it was before we really got panicked by COVID. But um, so that was exciting. But I guess um, I'll speak to some challenges, and I have to confess at a certain level to some jadedness um, in certain sectors or with certain efforts. Uh, I'll speak from my capacity as president, past president, now treasurer of BITS. We have always, uh, always, uh, because we uh, had this, the Kelly Cannon Scholarship, which is now administered right. by ACB. And we always give somebody a free year when they join. And I guess it's a chicken and egg thing, but we, I've looked at the last seven years, going back to 2014 to 2013, and there's not a single one of them, but there may be an exception coming up. There's not a single one of them who's maintained any contact with bets. And also, in certain situations, I know with Arizona, and I'm president of that affiliate now, you know, we have, uh, we've had scholarships. And I, I hate to view the world in purely transactional terms. But at a certain level, everyone understands that the reason why you're giving these scholarships is to uh, – introduce a person to ACB and with the hope that they will uh, keep that affiliation in their mind and when their circumstances mellow out, uh, that, that they'll become involved and very few do. So I think we have to, on one level, uh, tamp down or do some uh, expectation management when it comes to um, scholarship programs. I mean, I think they're a valid thing to do. I think the IRS looks for uh, nonprofits to do things of that nature. I think it's so John, well the organization to do it. Go ahead. Okay, I'm I, I, I get I get in I get into 
a lot of trouble in Florida because I say that that those of us who give scholarships don't get nearly enough back for what we do. I think um, that's true. Cards on and, the table. I think that's true. You know, you know, and I've said that what we really ought to be doing um, is going out to high school and colleges and going to commencement ceremonies to give our scholarships away because then we're going to get A, some publicity, but B, more important, um, we're going to make it seem more important and us seem more important to the students who we're giving the scholarships to. Yeah, I think some of this, I think that's a good point, Paul. I think also a lot of this is against a backdrop of uh, you and I, Paul, came from a certain era where schools we blind were more prevalent yeah. okay, and, and more of a factor and more of a part of the acculturation of blind people. I think with mainstreaming, one of its downsides has, has been, and this disturbs me, that blind people, and I hate to use the word class because it's no blindness is no economic respecter of socioeconomic circumstance, but it does result in certain commonalities or common experiences. And the blind have no group sensibility, you know, group sensibilities about what's in their best interests. And that really scares me. And, and I, I'm not preaching that there should be one monolithic outlook on either political or a philosophical outlook. I, right. I would gag at that. But uh, let's not go to the other extreme either. We have certain common interests. Those should be perceived as common interests. Uh, I come from a background of, of and, and advocacy. So let, let me be sure I understand you. So what, yeah. what you're essentially saying is that because the mainstream environment uh, doesn't encourage blind people to get together, that as young people, they don't develop a sense of what being blind is and therefore tend to isolate themselves and remove themselves from involvement in blindness. Is, is that where you're coming from? Yes, and I went through my own period with that. I mean, I, was, I went to a school for the blind up through eighth grade. Then I was in a mainstreamed environment, and the Catholic Guild for the Blind at that time started was starting like a blind teens club, and I resisted it saying, look, the whole idea of being mainstream was to get out of that. Uh, but then I sort of, you know, when I went to college, I wound up hanging around with uh, the few blind people that were there. I, I, we had lots of sighted friends, but it was, it became a balancing act. Um, and, uh, but, but in adulthood, people are going to find out if they haven't already, and I guess they have, that you're going to face challenges that are common to all blind people. And um, it might behoove you to be in closer touch with blind people who have traveled down those roads before. Yeah. And I think one of the things that a, a, a viable consumer organization can do and should do is to provide uh, that passing down of knowledge. Again, and again, I'm talking transgenerational. Uh, and of course, it can go the other way, too. I mean, there's a lot of people I, I consider myself to be pretty technologically adept. But I know that there are some blind people in my age bracket who could use uh, some of the forward-looking thinking about technology that oh. are more represented in students and certainly next generation. Yeah. <laughs> John, thank you so much, sir. Appreciate it. Um, Min and Ms. Selm, what do you think? Does, does mainstream isolate folks from blindness? Don't both speak um, at once. <laughs> well, <laughs> does main okay? Um, it, it, yes and no. Um, 
it, it, it does. Um, and um, I was one of those people, I went to the school for the blind um, from sixth grade on. And I, I found myself after high school wanting to get out of my comfort zone, I guess. Mm -hmm. I actually, I left, see, Louisville, um, where I live, it's, it's very, um, it's very adaptable for um, blind and visually impaired. It's the most adaptable city, I think, in Kentucky. Um, I mean, everybody knows it because this, this is where the school for the blind is. Everyone knows, you know, most of the population here knows um, about uh, the awareness of blind and visually impaired people. Um, there, there are those that do not. But um, I wanted to found myself get, wanting to get out of my comfort zone and – I found that when I did, I grew as I, I grew as a person, overcame a lot of challenges. Like I had to actually be my own self advocate and learn how right. to do that. Um, and, and and so you actually wanted to walk away from blindness for a little while. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I wanted to get out of Louisville, and then um, three years after I graduated, I found myself back here um, mm -hmm. for various reasons. Um, it's when I met my husband, and. Um, you know, I, I found myself coming back here and I found myself really missing it. And now I don't want to leave the city uh, as much as my family begs me to move closer <laughs> to them. Mm -hmm. It's because I have, it's because I have kids. Um, and, you know, I, so, so yes, I, I do think, I do think it does because there are skills that you need to learn um, mm -hmm. that are, are not always taught in mainstream. Yeah. Um, you have you have some vision, is that right? Yes, yes. Yeah, uh, and does did, did that make a difference? Do you think in in persuading the persuading you that you ought to kind of move away from blindness for a while? Oh yes, definitely. Um, I will say the one thing that I missed as soon as I went to college, because um, I went to the school for the blind. When I went to college, the one thing I missed was the canes going in the back of my ankles. <laughs> there you go. Miss <laughs> Mins, does, does um, mainstreaming isolate folks from blindness? Um, I don't think so. I, no. I went to public school um, all my life. Well, when I moved to the U.S., um, and, you know, growing up in Massachusetts, everybody was always like, why didn't you go to Perkins? Because Perkins was here. Um, and I just, I just felt like I had maybe more opportunities um, mm -hmm. in terms of excelling academically. More challenges, um, maybe. Yeah. More challenges. And I feel like it taught me to be more resilient. Uh -huh. um, because, you know, you know, blind people, we have a lot of challenges in society yeah. um, and just by being a part of that community in school, like I was the only blind student, right. they kind of taught me from an early age that, you know, life is not going to be always adapted to my needs and I need to find ways to get around that. Um, but you know, during the summers and weekends and things like that, I did programs at the Carroll Center. I did outreach programs at Perkins, and I went to 
blind camp <laughs> in the summer. And so I got my fill of blind people then, and I still have blind friends that I've made yeah. 12. So I think it's a matter of finding those opportunities for yourself. And I right. actually encourage like, TVIs and parents to allow their blind students and children to be a part of the blind community because that's that's really important too. Yeah, I think it is too. Yeah. Um, excellent. Mr. Rick? Terry's back. Yeah, Terry. Hi, again. Um, <laughs> Second like bad uh, penny. <laughs> I love you too, Paul. <laughs> um, I, I, two things. One is uh, most recently on this conversation, I went to a sight-saving class um, through the sixth, second through sixth grade, and then I went on to public junior high and high school and college and, and such. And I had no interest in being involved with, with, with the blindness, the whole blindness community or anything um, at that point. Um, eventually that changed, obviously. Yeah. Um, a little bit. It's a good thing. But, but it, thank you. I think so too. Um, but, I, I wonder that, if that's actually a that stage that a lot of blind people go through. Well, um, I think that I think that the thing is that I think that doing them that being mainstreamed and such, you you do. I think Min hit. I, I mean, uh, Amanda hit very much on that. You learn things that you would never get into, and in, you you end up in right. situations you would never be in in a school for the blind, for instance. Right. Um, that you that you know you think of swim in them. Fortunately, I yeah. was I you know was resourceful enough to to swim, um, and I, that's important. And I, and you know so that even as a young adult, most of while I by that point I had gotten involved with the blindness community, but most of my friends were still were sighted people. Um, my work was all my work back then was always in in a in a sighted environment. Um, the one accommodation I had was I had a stand that I would put my paperwork on as I was uh, auditing $3 million a month um, checking accounts yeah. back yeah. in those days, uh, that kind of thing. Um, but so you, we, I think we did a lot more learning to, learning to adapt. Right. That's, that's my point on that. The other thing that I wanted to bring up that um, on topic a little a little earlier um back on do the affiliate getting involved getting people involved in an affiliate getting yep. people involved in any organization i have found with various organizations that i've been involved in um in the past including some that had several thousand members one of the easiest ways to get people involved and to get in and to get them active is to ask them is to welcome a new person in and ask them if they would mind doing something it's something minor especially in the beginning something right. minor it might be picking would you mind picking up the banquet tickets at, the, at your table and the one next to you once someone gets a bit of ownership in an organization that creates that bit of ownership. Once that happens, they will then blossom and they will yeah. then 
continue to be involved. And I think that's one of the most important lessons that any leader needs to learn. I, I, is, I think you're right. I think you're absolutely Grant right. As Grant Mack taught you with 20 bucks to be, to be the chair of resolutions. Yeah. I hope you, I hope you sent him one heck of a bill afterward. <laughs> no, I have to all I got. <laughs> um, and with that, I promise I will say good night. <laughs> Ms. Terry, thank you so much. So I am going to ask you guys, do, is there a point at which a lot of folks when they're younger want to separate from the whole blindness system? What do you think? I think so. Yeah. I think it's a fate. I, I think so. I, everyone that I, I've known kind of yeah. wants to get away from it because it's go, comfortable. Yeah. It's, um, it's not something I've know. thought about, so it's interesting. Yeah. Do, you think, do you think so too, Miss Miss? Yes. Smith? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. 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 All right. Um, Mr. Rick. Alice. Hi. Yeah. Just a couple of things. First of all, too, I, I meant to say a while ago, McDonald's hands down <laughs> on the French fries. Thank you. Um, that was, that was, was my first job in 1960-something. <laughs> I worked at McDonald's and I started on French fries. So now, How much did now, you make? But back then, oh, I made it, I think it was $1.35 an hour. Woo. And when you got a wow. when you got a nickel raise, you were doing really good. And all wow. McDonald's had at that time, and some people, I mean, Paul, you, Paul, and Alice, you may relate to this: cheeseburger, hamburgers, cheeseburgers, French fries, and fillet of fish. That's all that was on. That's the correct. Yeah. That was that, it. Yeah. Well, you're lucky they hired me, but uh, and I think it was so they could say they had their token disability person, but they never would give me any hours. <laughs> after I went through the training. so And, 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 um, but, way, and way back then, the French fries weren't frozen. Remember? That's right. That's they, right. They used to blanch them. But anyways, we, we digress. I'm sorry. Yes, but I was going to say, I, I, I think, Paul, to, just to answer your question, because that's what I was thinking about, too, when Amanda said what she said. I grew up in the blind school system, and so when I left... I did. I I was that way for a long time. I wanted to distance myself from anything blind related. I wanted to be among my sighted peers. I wanted to do things they did. I wasn't so much into what you know uh, things my blind friends were doing because I want. I just wanted that separation, um, and it was important to have that. But the other thing I was going to say is. So, to piggyback on something that Terry just said, and that was in Georgia, what what we have started doing as a way to try and to keep our our younger people engaged and involved is is number one is we realize because they're students because that's the one thing they told us I, I can't while I'm in school I really can't be involved because I've got so much going on with schoolwork I can't give much time so we found a way to find out what their interests were and we. We have found a way to fit them in, like, so even if it's just during our annual conference, like, we have one gentleman, he's into trivia and that kind of thing. So he does a, tri we do a trivia night. One of our other young men is a, a, a music major, and so what we do is we have him play for our banquet and our opening reception at conference. So that was a way to, to fit them into the niche to get them involved. And the other thing we've, we started doing, because you're right, it's like, and, and we know it, a lot of these folks come for the scholarship and the scholarship and then they don't right. get involved. But we now require that they check in with us 
each semester, and they don't have to necessarily come to a meeting or anything, but they have to send us a written report to go into the newsletter or do come on to a meeting and just share with us how their semester is going, what they're doing, that kind of thing. Oh, wow. I don't think wow. that's a bad idea. Yep. I think that's, I think that's, that's a pretty good that's idea. That's good. That is a really yeah. good idea. And I really liked what you said, Alice, about, you know, showcasing their talents and you know, having the music major, the guy that was a music major, play for the banquet, and the other guy organize the trivia night. That is, that's a great way to make them feel important. I was just going to say that Georgia's cheap. They don't pay anybody, so. That's it. No. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to squeeze in somewhere along the way. <laughs> exactly. Miss Karen, I see you're up there. What would you like, Miss Karen? Ms. Karen, um, I heard well, you. I had a, what I want to say is that what brings me to the blindness community, a.k.a. ACB, yeah. is, is we do things that sighted people do along with doing what do things that blind people do. And so the people that don't want to, quote, unquote, be with blind people can engage in things that sighted people do. And part of the prerequisite for joining the visually impaired people of Southeast Texas which is a support group in here in Kingwood, is you, my president has a knack for finding things that normal sighted people do and or people that are sighted that are willing to teach us various things. I'm part of a, a, a martial arts group here. I've taken the CERT class, and there's no telling what else my, my president will come up with for me to engage in. But it's an unwritten prerequisite for joining VIPSA is that you engage in some of the things he offers. Yep. You're not engaging and, all of them, but you're engaging yeah. some of them. But his, his point is that he wants you to engage in non-blindness activities, yeah? Is that the deal, Karen? Yeah, it, it, but sighted people can participate in these things. Yeah. And if I happen to be in Florida or California or wherever I am, and I meet it with a sighted person that's also a martial arts member. We can be on the same sheet of music, even though I took it from a Brian class. That's excellent. That that is a really good point. Yeah. Thank you, Karen. Um, and Karen, I bet your president makes you play the piano too. Well, <laughs> my, well my, I, if you don't know it by now, I think everybody in ACB that knows me personally knows that I play the piano. It's just kind of who I am. And you do it really well, too, Miss Karen. Thank you so much for your call. Yep. I, I, will, I, will, I will miss Paul being around and harass me if I don't see him at convention. Because <laughs> even when I'm not playing that year, if Paul doesn't ask me if I'm playing, I'll be disappointed. Uh, well, and I'll always <laughs> ask you, Miss Karen. Thank you so much. Mr. Rick, do we have oh, another I, hand? Yeah, I forgot. Uh, McDonald's also had apple pies back then. <laughs> yeah. He hasn't put that in, too. Yeah. <laughs> apple pies and, and shakes. And uh, I, think, I think 1966 was the first year of the Shamrock Shake. How's that for Now, now the, wow, shake used to, the shakes wow. used to be good, not so much now. <laughs> Weren't the apple pies turnovers? No, they were called apple pies. Were they? They, they, yeah. they were they were fried pies, and maybe yeah. Originally and, oh, yeah. Um, and and Ray Kroc, who was the uh, owner or founder of McDonald's, mm -hmm. he started uh, by um, uh, selling the McDonald brothers those spindle machines. Oh, 
Yeah. They, they used to make the milkshakes. Oh, so, wow. Uh, yeah. So much for that. Margie is back. I need an app. I need an apple. Oh, my now. goodness. Me too. They're like 80 cents. I came back <laughs> because yes. I have to put in my two cents about blind teens in general um, not wanting to be around other blind people. And I want to say, <clears throat> I think in the regular, quote, school environment, that's true. But let me tell you, even to this day, I volunteer at a camp for the blind. And those kids yeah. are so happy to see each other every year. It's like old home week. Yep. And... Um, when I, of course, only me would do this. Only I would do this. When I was about 13 and rapidly losing my sight, I called DOR in a town in Cal. I lived in a rural area in a town, and I was told I could not get mobility training because I was too young. And DOR and is I, the Department of Rehabilitation, yes? Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Mm -hmm. I was too young at 13. Thank God that's turned around today. So I begged my parents to send me to the school for the blind, and I was so happy. First of all, I saw all my friends from summer camp, and so I was like knowing people, and I was very popular, and I became a, a student president immediately, and I really needed to be around blind people. I, I was losing my sight. I really wanted to know how to do things, and I couldn't believe my first mobility lesson. And at the time, we had mobility cards, and I, within the first year, I got all three mobility cards, and most people didn't get the green card. The green card gave us the whole Bay Area to travel. Oh, it was yes. pretty big. <laughs> yeah. And I just want to say, while I do agree with the concept, and I, I think that's extremely true with the elderly as well, there are exceptions. And um, I just want to note that. I think there are exceptions because we can't get even today as much as we need in a public school um, to meet our needs if we're rapidly losing our sight and eventually we'll be totally blind as I am now. And yep. I think there's a place for schools for the blind and there's a place for mainstreaming, but I ultimately have to say my personal opinion is I think mainstreaming has really hurt the majority of young blind children. Ms. Min, you are going to make a comment. Um, no, I, I was just agreeing with what Margie was saying, um, with being happy to see my blind friends at, you know, at summer camp. Um, I do think schools for the blind have their place. I'm not, I don't know if I necessarily agree that mainstreaming has hurt blind children necessarily. I, I feel like, um, mainstreaming has really given us more opportunities, I think, to be more certainly, part of the society. It certainly challenges more academically, I think. But I think the other side of it, and, and, and you know, you guys can comment on it, I think the other side you of it... You didn't have my teachers. <laughs> <laughs> I think the other side of it is that I, I think a lot of kids who are mainstream don't end up unless their parents and others are, are, are pretty careful about it, having the social skills that a lot of blind folks have coming out of blind school. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I was going to comment on Margie. I, I actually agree with one thing. 
you know, when she said that you were, uh, she was excited to see all of her blind friends. Yeah. I think the one thing that a lot of people like about the blind summer, the blindness uh, summer camps um, is that it's, it's a feeling of inclusion. That's what mm -hmm. it is, is that you're included automatically. Mm -hmm. Yep. Excellent. All right. Miss Margie, thank you. Peter. Yeah, I, I, I first want to say for those folks in California, I, I just I can only imagine what you guys are going through. I mean, we, we are our sunsets are being impacted by the smoke that's coming from from California. Uh, There's a whole conversation wow. this morning on uh, on uh, terrestrial radio, as we say here um, about this whole thing. And, it, you know, it's it, it's changing the color of the sunset uh, and will for a while. And uh, I just hope you guys get through it. OK, it sounds terrible. Um, I want to say a couple of things. The first thing, uh, I'm also, I hate to say this, but I am a Cajun fry guy and McDonald's does not have Cajun french fries. Um, <laughs> sorry about that. I mean, but they're good. As the French and art guy, um, I have a couple of observations to make. The first is we have it fairly easy to get our scholarship winners involved. We just ask them to perform in the showcase, you know, our talent show. And it really does make a difference. And uh, thank you. We we also um, uh, we we've been fortunate. We have some very good people who do outreach. Uh, Lynn Heddle, when she was alive, was just wonderful. Reaching mm -hmm. up for our scholarship winners, and before that, our current president Mike Nandel and Gordon Kent are really good at it. And you know, and the result was we got people on our board. And it's really a a, a question of really doing the outreach. And so I really make an effort now when there are events that I think will interest our scholarship winners to send them emails, say, Hey, we're doing this. So you're welcome to take part. And sometimes that works and sometimes it doesn't, but I really do believe that, you know, doing the outreach and saying, hi, how are you doing? Mm -hmm. And does, does make a difference. Uh, the second thing I want to say uh, with this mainstream versus school for the blind, I'm just going to make one observation that over the past four or five years, none of our scholarship winners came from schools for the blind. Now, is that a coincidence or not? I don't know. But one of the things I, you know, in doing interviewing candidates, um, I think the school for the, the uh, mainstreaming gave them more opportunities to shine. It also gave them more struggles. Uh, and, you know, for example, my experience, I was mainstreaming throughout my, my school experience. I was in the marching band my high school time. You know, it just wasn't a possibility in most schools for the blind. Um, and I was doing things musically that just simply weren't available. Uh -huh. um, so, you know, it, it's a complicated situation. And I also do know that sometimes, you know, this mainstreaming ends up being people being, you know, taught in the, in the, uh, what's the room I'm looking for? The, the, the disability room is a term for yeah. resource room. <laughs> resource the resource room. room. Yeah, the resource room. And that, yeah. of course, has its own set of problems. Uh, um, which is, uh, you know, just as much of a segregating situation as potentially schools for the blind might be. So, so Peter, I, yeah. I want to be sure about your statistic. Are you talking about Missouri scholarships or are you talking, no, I'm talking about, about national Friends and Arts scholarships, sorry. I'm talking oh, about the Friends and Arts scholarships. Very scholarship. good, thank you. Um, thank you, Paul. That's a, that's a very fair question. It's true for ACB scholarship as well. I think we only had maybe one or two students who came out of a school for the blind. Now, in fairness to school for the blind, they, they're now more involved with people with multiple disabilities, and that creates its own set of challenges. I know that's They, they are, but there, there are a number of kids who, who probably have abilities, but, 
but end up at schools for the blind for various reasons. And I wonder, and, and I wonder if we need to be intervening and saying to them that, that they need more of a challenge to it, even if they're living in a school for the blind, they perhaps need to be mainstreamed to public schools for their high school period. Or something. Yeah, and I, I know, I, I might saying Perkins tries to do that. I'm not an expert on schools for the blind, but I do know mm -hmm. folks who are involved with Perkins. And mm -hmm. so that may be part of the solution. All I, but, you know, all I know is that, you know, all of our friends who are scholarships, you know, uh, you know, went to, were mainstream through, through most of their education experience. And, and thrive. And thrive. Yeah. You know, yeah. Solve yes. the problem. Yep. I, I want to ask one question, um, and you may have covered this. But I'm really curious, um, as a person who's well over 40, can you, uh, each of you, talk about the sort of the two or three main issues that you guys are, you know, uh, talking about? And if this has been talked about before, I apologize, I got on late. Um, but what are, the, what are the two or three issues that you guys, you know, that regular company your meetings that you would like uh, ACB to get more involved with than maybe we are as an organization? That's actually a good question. Um, Do you mean like advocacy right. and legislative? Yeah. No, not necessarily. It could be, uh, you know, a, a program that maybe ECB could do. Advocacy certainly is a possibility. But uh, are there things that, are there issues that we should be focusing on that we're not? Or are there things, you know, yeah. I, I, I don't want this to be an actually legislative question. I want this to be a broader question. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, I can, I can speak first. Go. Um, so... One thing with advocacy that I would really like to see ACB do, um, and it's the only advocacy thing, is work more with colleges and disability services to really teach them about the needs of blind students. Because um, I think that's one of the biggest challenges that blind students face is they go to college and they may have you know, talked to DS before they start but then when they're actually enrolled, they find out that DS is actually not that helpful, that they're not getting everything that they need, and so they fall behind, and there's just a lot of frustration. Yep. Um, so I think that's, that's definitely one area we could be doing a lot better. And there are some schools who are really well-known for their excellent DS services, and we can learn from that. Um, and I I guess another thing that I think ACB could be doing better is, um, well, we talked about inclusion, but we're going to talk about diversity too. Um, and this is a topic that a lot of organizations are discussing. Um, you know, people want to belong in organizations that they feel comfortable in, um, that kind of look like themselves right. um, and I know f for me uh, you know being Asian um, being a female I I really appreciate it when I'm in a space and I can see that there are strong women in leadership positions um, so it was so exciting that Kim Charlson was the president of ACB like she I really looked up to her and say like wow that could that could potentially be me one day you know um, and then just seeing other people of color in the organization makes me feel like I um, am valued, not just because I'm a blind student who is um, wanting to stay involved, but you know, just for being me for my identity. So final, final thought from you, Min, and then give out your contact information if you want to. Sure. Um, 
Well, I just want to say thank you again for allowing me to speak. Um, ACB students is a big passion of mine, and um, I hope I can make it grow and work with all of you in ACB and beyond to make it better and to you know even work with next gen to make the next generation even stronger. Um, and if you want to talk more or learn more about us, you can always email me. It's just president at acbstudents.org. Um, and we're overhauling our website right now, but you can check it out also at acbstudents.org. Thank you so much. Miss Amanda, final thoughts and then some contact information? Sure, thank you. First of all, I had such a blast with all y'all tonight. Um, great questions. Um, and I am so excited to um, be working with um, be working with ACB and be uh, the president of ACB Next Generation. Um, and I am looking forward to helping um, reach out on the local level as well as we move into the next exciting phase of um, ACB Next Gen. Um, so don't um, don't forget if you want any information on how that um, that works on how to start a local chapter or um, state affiliate of ACB Next Generation. Um, we are going to have a as a Zoom call on September twenty fourth and um, present all the information. If you have questions, um, bring them. You'll see an announcement. That will be in the community calls list. Um, I don't know if it'll be on the community calls list. It'll go out on leadership. Definitely the information will go out on leadership. Um, so that'll be on there at the time information, all things you need. And, um, I, I am just so excited because we are the future of ACB. And if anyone has questions about membership, about just about anything we do, um, you can send us an email at acbnextgen at gmail.com. It's pretty easy. acbnextgen at gmail.com. And we will do our best to answer all your questions. Thank you so much to both of you for being here. You guys have been great guests. Um, for those who arrived late, I wanted to, to remake the announcement I made at the beginning, and that is to say uh, ACB Tuesday Topics podcast can now be gotten uh, directly with your Victor Reader stream. They're on ACB Link, and they're on iTunes, and I'm excited about that. Next week on Tuesday Topics, we're going to devote our whole two hours to a celebration of the life of uh, Charlie Crawford, who died on last Friday. Um, I'm excited about doing this. He was a great friend of mine. And I think a lot of us will be, will be talking about the many legacies that he's left behind. So I am looking forward to having lots of you guys come to that. Um, I, I know... I know I have some things to share, and and I hope you guys will be here um, to listen to us sharing those. I'm not sure what we're going to be doing in two weeks, so you'll have to tune in next week to find out. But I'm so glad that our podcasts are up there. Ladies and gentlemen, Tuesday Topics is your show. Don't forget 
to send me an email at edwards.paul955 at gmail.com if you have suggestions for future topics. Good night, everyone. You all are the best. Thank you.